Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. The following is a presentation by the memorial's archivist Jim Zobel about ongoing research into a series of letters that MacArthur wrote to a young German woman after World War I. Discovered around the year 2000, the letters reveal a previously unknown chapter in the MacArthur story. Upon his return from duty in World War I, Brigadier General Douglas MacArthur was one of the most decorated and well-known of America's soldiers. His star was rising, and shortly after arriving in the United States, he was tapped by the U.S. Army Chief of Staff, Peyton March, to serve as the new superintendent at the United States Military Academy at West Point. At 39 years old, MacArthur was being given a plum job and a mandate to revamp the stale Monastery on the Hudson, as West Point was nicknamed. It was a job he put all his energy into. But in his first years as superintendent, MacArthur was seen as distant and sad. One of his staff members, Major William Gonneau, mentioned this repeatedly in his book, MacArthur Close Up. Gonneau believed it was the after-effects of MacArthur's service on the fields of France fighting the Germans. The viewpoint carries weight. MacArthur was haunted by the hundreds, if not thousands, of men he had led and seen slaughtered during the war. But there may also be another explanation. Correspondence uncovered over a decade ago provides another explanation for MacArthur's emotional state in his first years as West Point superintendent. MacArthur was in love. In November 2000, I was asked to look at four letters that were believed to have been written by Douglas MacArthur between May 1919 and January 1920. The letters proved authentic and presented a wonderful find because most of MacArthur's pre-World War II correspondence was destroyed during the Battle for Manila in 1945. The letters had come into the possession of a sergeant with the 518th Military Police Battalion during World War II, and were likely picked up when the 518th was in Germany at the end of the war. But how did MacArthur's letters end up in Germany? Following the armistice that ended World War I in November 1918, Allied forces began occupation duty in the western sectors of Germany. One of the American units selected was the 42nd Rainbow Division. As commander of one of the division's two brigades, MacArthur and his 84th Brigade were assigned to occupy the area surrounding Sinzig on the Rhine River. From December 1918 to April 1919, House Schoenberg served as the headquarters for the 84th Brigade. MacArthur also lived there, spending most of his time recuperating from the aftereffects of the gassing he received during the war. Decades later, the House Schoenberg estate was again occupied and served as a headquarters for military police units of the American Army in the closing months of World War II. House Schoenberg was on the 518th route to Leipzig, and that is where the letters were likely picked up by the sergeant in the 518th. The content of the letters, however, was even more surprising than where the letters were found. They were written to a German Fraulein named Hertha Hauser, and the letters revealed an unknown chapter in the life of MacArthur. There is an unlimited amount of material available about his public life, but it is the exact opposite in connection with his private life, especially in the years preceding World War II. A bachelor until the age of 42, and a much sought-after one at that, 
There has always been some question as to why MacArthur did not marry until late in life. As these letters show, sometimes love is frustrated by insurmountable obstacles. The letters also revealed that among the many qualities MacArthur possessed, he was also a complete romantic. The first letter to Herta was penned on 16 May 1919, shortly after MacArthur's return to the United States from service in France and Germany. In it, he admits that he cannot speak all the emotions he is feeling, because he knows all mail between the United States and Germany is being censored. He tells of his trip back home, the whereabouts of his staff, and the new job he has been assigned at West Point. Most importantly, he tells Hertha that he has told his mother all about her. MacArthur's mother was his greatest confidant and supporter, and his telling her about Hertha reveals a great deal about the young general's serious affection for Hertha. Another letter was written on 17 July 1919, at a time when censorship had ended, and MacArthur was able to express all the emotions he was prohibited from saying in the earlier letter. This letter makes it clear that he was in love with Herta, and that she was a young Red Cross worker who had nursed him back to health at House Schoenberg. MacArthur wrote, I love you. With all my heart and soul, I love you. For me, the world begins and ends with you. He also inquired after her family and let her know that he had attempted to take leave to visit her in Europe, but had been denied. After promising to apply again for leave the next year, he asked her to send a photograph. Another letter of 12 September 1919 was again written to Haus Schoensberg, but this time it was forwarded to the Hessen region of Germany. MacArthur's mother had received a letter from Hertha asking the whereabouts of her son. The general's response was short and to the point. The curtness of the third letter makes it appear that he had come to the realization that their love was doomed to failure. It may also have been the case that he still feared censorship. MacArthur wrote, The difficulties of our respective positions are so great as to be impossible to overcome. I have realized this lately, and believe we had best face it frankly. My army command makes me a servant of the Republic, and I feel that I am no longer a free agent. My respect, my admiration, my reverence for you will always be with me, and there will ever be a niche in my heart marked with your name. But together, we can only look backwards and not forwards. Despite this attempted closure, another letter postmarked 30 January 1920 survives. From this letter, it was obvious that MacArthur's previous rationalization had gone out the window. Pictures received from Herta revived his love once again. Also evident in this letter is his pride in his work at West Point. He ended the letter, God knows what betides us, but you will know that always my love for you will burn as steadily as the beam of the sun's rays. Lovingly, Douglas. For a time, the correspondence ended there. Then, another set of letters between the two were located after I published an article on the first set of letters in 2004. The new set of letters came from another member of the 518th Battalion, who had also liberated them from Haus Schoenberg. The letters date from 1919 to 1921. MacArthur wrote to Hertha of being ill and still working to recover from the effects of mustard gas. Upon hearing that she was ill in March of 1921, MacArthur wrote that he remembered how well she had taken care of him as a nurse, and he wished he could be with her to return the favor. Ending that particular letter, he reminded her that his life was rolling along as usual, but he was always gazing to the east 
and thinking of her. Then something happened. On October 11, 1921, MacArthur wrote a cryptic note to Hertha. I have got your letter of the 22nd of September. Some of the things you say have made me sad. I send you my tenderest love and greeting. Perhaps Hertha was getting married to someone else. Perhaps she was ill again. Whatever the reason for the cryptic message, October proved a turning point in the relationship. That month, MacArthur met wealthy heiress and divorcee, Louise Cromwell Brooks. Five months later, MacArthur and Louise wed on Valentine's Day. The New York Times trumpeted as the marriage of Mars and millions, but it shocked others, including MacArthur's mother. But what about Hertha? In the end, the general and Hertha never married and never reunited. MacArthur never made any mention of her in his memoirs, and never mentioned her in any manner to anyone that left any record of it. Even the extent of their romance is unclear. Was it an example of what is called the Florence Nightingale effect? Was it a romance that exists only in the atmosphere of House Schoenberg? Whatever the case, after a lightning-fast courtship, MacArthur married Louise Cromwell Brooks. She was one of the richest women in America who liked to party and have fun. She was the epitome of the Roaring Twenties, so unlike him in every way. The letters from MacArthur to Hertha may provide some insight as to the reason he was so attracted to Louise. MacArthur's first years at West Point were filled with sadness, loneliness, and thoughts of Hertha. When he met Louise in 1921, she must have seemed like a breath of fresh air. After the horrors he witnessed in World War I and the doomed romance with Hertha, the vibrancy of Louise might have been a welcome distraction. It was another whirlwind courtship that was doomed to failure. He and Louise divorced in 1929. In January 1964, just months before he died, MacArthur received a series of snapshots of House Schoenberg. The photos were sent by a veteran of the U.S. Army 10th Criminal Investigation Detachment. The veteran had been a member of a unit stationed at House Schoenberg during World War II and wrote to MacArthur that he was welcome to keep the photos if he was interested in them. If not, he asked MacArthur to return them. On the letter, MacArthur wrote in pencil to his secretary, Send him a letter of thanks. I'll keep the photos. Clearly, decades later, MacArthur still had a deep attachment to House Schoenberg. But what became of Herta? Initially, after the letters were tracked down, nothing was known of her fate. After some research, some information emerged. At some point, Herta married Alexander von Werfken, a member of an aristocratic and artistic Russian family in exile. Her husband was related to an artist who produced what the Nazis called degenerate art. It is likely that they left Germany prior to World War II, as their Russian emigre background and connection to the modern art world might have made them unwelcome in Nazi Germany. At some point, Hertha moved to Rome, where she was buried in 1967. To date, there is also an unclaimed Swiss bank account in Hertha's name. Over time, perhaps more information will be unearthed to allow a better understanding of the MacArthur-Hertha-Hauser relationship and a better understanding of Hertha's life. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.